you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The Around the NFL podcast was rated 78 by PFF. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined in a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Welcome to the Thursday show. We're now exactly two weeks away from the NFL draft. How about that? What was it that you were saying to me as our mics were cut? You defamed me as we were going about to about to enter the show, and I did not hear the insult. I did not defame you, but um, every once in a while when we are in the studio, Mark is a little impatient when we're doing too much chattering before because you're trying to get home or out of here. And I had a bit that I was saying what you were actually going to because you told us you were going home because you had to do chores. You're- None of us believe you. So there's something you're doing something after the show today. I had a bit, but I can't say it on air because it's, well, it's my a current blue. life cannot be more dull. So I have no other plan to hatch. It is 1057 and we were supposed to start the pod at 10 a.m. Well, oh, we, we had we, some things we had to do. Yeah, I, I tape some. So tele- let's say that we were, we were in theory, we're going to start at 1040. It is 1058. I mean, if you want to see this, um, light, I know that Wes agrees with me. Light attitude from Mark. You can check out up to the minute on Friday. Our hit will likely be around 1145. There you go. Yeah, we, drop what, what you're tap. doing at your job and go run to a local tavern where Pacific. it's on with no sound. <laughs> I I don't know. I do agree with you, but only because. In the seven years of this podcast, or six years, it has never once started on time. Well, we would have had, yeah. Well, you're right. There's a lot of complaining for delays that were done to ensure the podcast was better today. Mm. That's I'm, what it's about. I am not complaining. I'm just pointing out a fact. That's that's what I'm doing. Also, simply operating in facts. Clock time. Um. All right. No one well, loves chores more than Mark. Kessler. That's what <laughs> there I've are no chores. Today. <laughs> there you are no come chores. do these chores. Um. All right. Today's show got a good one. Um, oh, yeah, two weeks from the draft, and mentioned this on the Twitter show uh, in passing uh, during a, a segment we did, and you could check out our Twitter show. I think I, ha- I have it pinned on the top of my Twitter profile if you want to get it there. We do, you know, we, it's a good show. You're on the Absolutely. Twitter show we do every Wednesday. Uh, but I said how if you could throw one thing into the black hole, it is – this period of the calendar, which just seems excessive and un- unnecessary. I fleshed it out a little bit just to, if any shadowy league figures are listening. In fact, I'm going to pound in some tables and uh, go upstairs with this because I think this works. And let me know if you agree. So Super Bowl, first Sunday in February. Fine. Combine, last week in February, first week of March. Fine. Mid-March, free agency, the new league year. Fine. So far, everything's okay. Th- now we get into trouble, right? So the owners' meetings at the end of March, that's fine. But what I want to do there is build in a GM ice cream social that same weekend. And these guys can really get in the room together, you know, have some desserts and work out different deals and have the conversations that you need ahead of the draft. Um, during this time, all the pro days, 
They have to be done by March 1st. So let's not drag out the pro day process. Thank you. And after your uh, ice cream social, the next week, the first Thursday of April is the draft. Who says no? Just condense this stuff. Open up the spring a little bit. Nobody that cares about quality of life would say no. I think that's an improvement. I, and I, but I also think the suggestions in the past that they, and I think a lot of people inside the league would agree with this, that you put the draft before free agency is intriguing. That mm. you do the combine and then you do the draft right after that, basically. You do the draft where free agency would be now or maybe even a week before. And then you do free agency after that. It'd be it'd be a whole different way to build teams. But other other leagues do this. The WNBA had their draft like a day after the NCAA tournament, and the NBA essentially does the same thing, where they do it immediately after the NBA season ends. They have the draft the next week. I mean, it's great for us. It's like the NFL, which it, you know is overtly attempting to stretch the calendar out to the point where there's no there's no free months at all but every 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 coach at the combine's like I haven't even had a second to look at tape don't even ask me about quarterback x so you're truncating and compacting their schedule They'll they may be the out. ones who They'll don't like it, it. And well then, that's easy to say as we continue to learn they all lie they got time they got they're watching even if they say I haven't had time to even look at the tape they've been pouring through all this tape it's all lies what did DJ say especially this two week period it's all a lie it's all a lie and now I'm starting to learn about the business almost 10 years in. Everything is lies at all times. And you got to parse that. That's why I have Chris Wessling here. I remember when Andy Reid stood up there and said over and over again, I am not trading Donovan McNabb. Mm. Then like two days later, traded Donovan McNabb. I mean, it's all lies. All right. Here we go. Today's show. Sorry, children out here. We're really, you know, <laughs> disabusing you of your optimism at a young age. It's true. If if we have, we're actually pretty big in the eight to ten um, year old demographic. Surprisingly, we destroy that demographic. The little kids love it. Defend football for a second. I mean, the the number of lies is minuscule compared to, let's say, the arena of politics. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so fair. you know, and they're mostly all, white lies. It's all so. relative. Run, this running back, we're not letting go of him. Like, that's fine. If you do, the world continues to operate. <laughs> that's fair. Hey, general managers, yes, they lie. Um, sometimes <laughs> it's lies of omission. Sometimes it's just straight-up lies. And I don't know if you factor in their ability to tell the truth or willingness to tell the truth in the general manager power rankings, but we're going to do it today. We're going uh, uh, to put the general managers of the NFL into different groups and break down who's cutting the mustard and who's the opposite of what cutting the mustard is. I wonder where that came from. Seems weird that you cut mustard. Yeah, very strange. And, of course, we're going to do some news. Let's start there. And, yes, let's start, speaking of the Twitter show, with some news that we broke in the uh, NFL world, the Cognoscenti. Uh, Let's hit it, Ricky. I mean, if you're quitting bagels, you might as well be quitting life. Live a little. I can't. I can't disagree with you there, Greg. I mean, you should take eat, eat what you want in life. Overrated it, food. You know, maybe don't. You know, just eat with some nice portion control, and then you can eat whatever you want. Eat bad food all the time. I, all right, let me say because you and I have two very different body types. <laughs> that some people, yeah, I get can eat what they want, and even if you do some portion control, it just doesn't work the same way. But I think to your point, don't have two bagels uh, a week or a day. Have one. Right. We're not talking about that. like a double cheeseburger with bacon on it. It's a it's a bagel. It's bread. It's carbo. It fills you up. It's carbo. It's fine. Like you need that for your life. Bagels are the food that work at any time of the day, except, in my opinion. Except when you don't want to overchew your food. It's it's <laughs> it's the thing I mo- I miss the most um, about New York is the bagels. Because you could even find a good slice of pizza in L.A. It's not easy, but you can find it. Bagels. I would like you to come to New York Bagels on Wilshire in in 22nd and just check it out. In there, good shop. Writing it down. Wilshire in 22nd. Hang on. Wilshire, 22nd. I'll pop over there on a Sunday morning about 7.50. Don't, you know, sort of in my pajamas. <laughs> and, and I'm back at my, you know, just you a treat park, to everyone else. A park in my home. Your metabolism you know. just, just going crazy. I could, I could drive there and be back with the, with the bagels in like 11 minutes total. I think I accidentally dropped an F bomb there, Ricky. So yeah, I'm it, was, clean that it up. was only like 40% of an F bomb. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into the news. Um, we didn't break the news. Sorry. I just want to be clear. 
Mike Garofolo, um, our friend, NFL Network's own uh, Mike Garofolo, an East Coast guy, um, he was on our Around the NFL Twitter show on Wednesday. The subject of Josh Rosen and his future uh, came up. Rosen, who did report to workouts, voluntary workouts with the Cardinals, but seems to seems like his days are numbered in Arizona with Kyler Murray on the way. Uh, I asked Mike during the show if he buys into the reports out there that the Washington Redskins are a likely or potential landing spot for Rosen. Here's what Mike said. No, no, that's not true. Uh, I, I heard that myself. Uh, they have done a little bit of homework here, or at least uh, tried to figure out what the Cardinals' price would be, but they're not actively chasing him. Uh, and I don't know that they have an, a, a hard offer on the table because I know for a fact that they are still going through the motions with the guys in the draft currently uh, and that they've had made no firm decision about are we going to draft a guy or are we going to uh, go the Josh Rosen route or, or try to trade for somebody? I, I just, I don't sense it. I really, everything that I've been told, I asked Ian Rappaport about this yesterday. We briefly touched about it on his podcast. He's hearing the same thing. So um, I, I don't really believe that it's a sizzling market for Josh Rosen. My, and Mike made a point too, Greg, that I, I thought was a good one that there is talk, well, keep them both on the roster. And that does, there's definitely logic to that. Keep them both on the roster and then trade Rosen down the line. Is his value actually going to get better once you bury him on the bench for a month or a year or whatever it is? This probably is, if you want to get the best value, it's probably in the next three months or so, I'd say. Could be. You're, he made the point that a team that suffers an injury isn't going to be looking to a second-year quarterback to take over. They would rather kind that of was the a, other point. You know, a replacement-level veteran, which that makes some sense. And it makes sense that the Redskins need to go through these rookie quarterbacks to evaluate Rosen versus them. Because if they like a quarterback that they can take, let's say, with their second – they think they'll be able to take with their second-round pick and they like him better than Josh Rosen, then, then that's what you do. Or even maybe their first-round pick. If they liked him enough – they would suspend their due diligence and trade for him now. But they they are not overwhelmed, obviously, by what Josh Rosen put on tape last I think year. the difference, too, is with the draftable quarterbacks, and Gruden has said, look, if we're taking someone at 15, he's not a project. He starts right away. He's like, there's a lot of veterans on this team that aren't going to use the year 2038 to, work, to win. They're going to start right away. And they have a chance to meet and get to know every one of these quarterbacks. And he talked about grilling them hard on third down situations, all sorts of whiteboard stuff. Josh Rosen, because I don't think they did a ton of homework on Josh Rosen last year after trading for Alex Smith. You're having to bring in a guy who is a polarizing figure. We might like him, but there are a ton of GMs and coaches in the NFL that are scared of the Josh Rosen experience based on various anecdotes and reports, and I don't know if that's a perfect fit for Jay Gruden. I, we've never seen Jay Gruden try to dra- develop a guy. I mean, the closest he's come to it is Colt McCoy, and Colt McCoy played for elsewhere cousins? first. Didn't he yeah, develop Cousins? He did, but he didn't draft him. I mean, that wasn't his choice. That was Kyle Shanahan's guy. And, and yeah, he did develop him. I guess I mean a guy where, hey, we're going to choose a Redskins quarterback, and hopefully he can you know, be the future of the position. They've never, They've never had that. Uh, moving on, the Giants continue to move on in a post-Odell Beckham world. Uh, the Giants are in the process of finalizing a four-year, $41 million extension with Sterling Shepard, uh, Mike Garofolo reported. Uh, the deal would make Shepard the team's highest-paid wide receiver. Of course, uh, Golden Tate also joined the Giants in free agency, so that is the one-two punch there at wide receiver. Shepard uh, West has never had a 1,000-yard season, and yes, quarterback play and injuries have held him back, but this is, to me, this is a, a good signing. It's a nice salary for the guy that hasn't done a lot, but I think there's upside there with Sterling Shepard. I mean, you could look at it like he basically got the Adam Humphreys deal. Slot receiver for the Titans got four years, $40 million around there, and Sterling Shepard, to me, is a better receiver He's sort of a high-end number two, not quite a number one, and I think the contract reflects that. I think he's, I think he's underrated, or maybe not underrated, because I think people respect him. But his, he's a better player than his numbers indicate. I think this was a very uh, good value for the Giants in terms of the money that they got, because I think if he was a free agent or you got to next year, and he's probably going to have a big season in terms of volume, he would cost a lot more. I mean, their third wideout right now is Corey Coleman. 
So it's not as if the need has been entirely washed over. Right. You got to keep finding And I And players. I saw some criticism. I guess some people are down on Shepard. Like he's not even as good as, as some other uh, wide receivers who got similar money. I disagree. I think this is actually a, a good value. And I'm not worried about Golden Tate and him being duplicative. Yes, they're both better on the inside than outside. But you're not making your three to four year plan around Golden Tate. And I think we all like Evan Ingram too, and of course the running back is special. So there, 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 there is talent in place on the offensive side of the ball. They just need to address the quarterback. But it was there last line. year too. It's just less this time around. Um, moving on. Following up on the Bleacher Report bombshell uh, around Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, Rodgers spoke on the radio um, since the last time we did a podcast. But then he was, um, you know, at voluntary workouts with the Packers uh, this week, and uh, he elaborated on his comments in the initial um, response to the article, which he called, by the way, a smear attack. Uh, here's what Aaron Rodgers said on Wednesday. Well, first of all, I stand by everything I said, you know, and, and I, I just kind of want to refer to that as far as any other mm. comments go. Um, I said it on the show, and I meant it. It has been a great week. Uh, I've heard from, you know, uh, 100-plus former teammates and coaches and current teammates and coaches, and uh, that's fun, especially some of the guys you haven't heard from in a while um, checking in and, and uh, encouraging you. And let me just um... – throw out his comments or part of his comments uh, to ESPN Milwaukee, the radio station. The thing is about this article, it's not a mystery. This was a smear attack by a writer looking to advance his career, talking with mostly irrelevant, bitter players who all have an agenda. Rather, they're advancing their own careers or just trying to stir old stuff up. Then what happens is the same tired media folks picking it up and talking about it. Mm. It's just emphasizing their opinion about me already. I think it's valid for him to push back on it, but I was most interested in the places that he and then Mark Murphy, the president, pushed back. They were strongest about saying that the conversation between Murphy and Rogers, where Murphy, the president, told him, don't be the problem. They were so adamant that that didn't happen. Where to the point, like, that's how when people are denying things, like, you kind of look like, how hard are they denying some of these things? The smear attack stuff, that doesn't hold water for me. He's used this attack before. That's not what's going on. I get that Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley uh, are basically enemies of Aaron Rodgers who are trying to bury him. And I think when you're reading that, you have to take that into account. But they weren't the only two people talking in it. But when they talked about the the murphy Rodgers. Uh, conversation, and they're so hard against it, they kind of convinced me, okay, maybe that part of the equation did not happen that way. And that, that was one of the more interesting parts of the story. Nothing what? about, like, Tyler Dunn or what we know about him suggests the guy who's writing smear attacks. No. And, they, and it was too – the research was too wide, and what he put it – in the picture he painted was too convincing. I do think, though, if you're Aaron Rodgers, it is fair to be annoyed by what are repeated – a, if it's a minority, it is a repeat incident of certain players bashing him over and over. And if you're him, it is encouraging to hear from a hundred plus people that say we know he. There is no way to have one overall opinion of Aaron Rodgers that everyone must agree to. He's a guy that generates different reactions for different reasons. And I don't have a problem with a starting quarterback rubbing a couple starters the wrong way over the course of his career. I was sorry I missed this discussion the first time around because it reminded me so much of reading. The Jordan Rules, the book by Sam Smith that came out in the early 90s with all the teammates talking about Jordan. And Jermichael Finley playing the Horace Grant role where the personalities just clash. Yep. He said that Aaron Rodgers is like an addict. And I got to thinking, what is he addicted to? It's sort of the hyper-competitive stubbornness and ego when you're invested so heavily that a lot of great athletes have. It's a byproduct of that competition addiction and it's hard to put up with ineptitude when you're when you're so invested. I think actually Antonio Brown has some of this in him. Um, but I think like Mark Murphy says, this is a positive for Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I see it as a positive because he's out to prove to everyone this year he's not the problem in Green Bay. Well, and there's there's multiple ways to kind of look at all of these issues. For instance, Mark Tauscher, who's 
who did this interview. It's kind of his home base uh, weekly radio spot that he's done with Jason Wildey forever, Aaron Rodgers. So it's inter- it's kind of just interesting how you play the media these days that, okay, I'm going to make my statements on my home base station and then refer the actual questions to report that from everyone else to those statements, which I think is fair to look at as not cowardly, but it's convenient. You know, you're not really answering the questions uh, that are out there. And Rogers has a long history of instilling fear in the reporters and maybe teammates around him that he'll he'll kind of strike back at you if you don't like the way that he's talking. And one more Rogers note he revealed on that radio show um, that his leg injury suffered in week one, that um, opener, uh, Sunday night opener, uh, was more serious than perhaps was reported. Uh, in mm. addition to a sprained knee, an MCL sprain, he had a tibial plateau fracture, which, if that sounds familiar, that is the same injury that ended J.J. Watt's season back in 2017, mm. costing, wow. costing him the final three months. Now, some people then will say, well, he's making excuses because he didn't have the best year. All right, your mileage may depend on this one. But if if it's true, and I don't imagine he's lying about the injury, it might give you a little more insight why Rodgers did not have a Rodgers-like season because that and played is a very carefully. Injury. He did some good things. If he was going to make excuses, he'd have done it during the season. Hmm. He I played I, through that. Give him credit for it. I do yeah. want to say one, one last thing because I do, do think this whole thing's fascinating. And, and, and this is in defense of Tyler Dunn, too. The article was mostly about the toxic relationship between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. And when you listened and read between the lines of what Rodgers said on this radio station, he was not nearly as adamant pushing back against that. He brought up some little facts. Like, why would I have resigned and this and that? But I think the point was that they their relationship ultimately undermined the Packers. He, he did not push back against that. And that's the part of the story I still I believe and, and I think held a lot of weight. He pushed back too hard, just like Jordan did about the Jordan rules, because it ultimately showed a flawed human being, which we all are. And people understand that about Aaron Rodgers and Michael Jordan. Uh, meanwhile, on the throne of ease, the Patriots are in a post-Gronk world, and they made a move uh, this week. They signed Austin Safarian Jenkins to a one-year vet minimum contract. Rap Sheet reported, of course, the last time you heard about ASJ, he was the starting tight end of the Greybeard, so I bid him adieu. Um, I view him as a player with still upside, and uh, he'll probably have roughly 1,200 yards on the Patriots this season, uh, if that's how it works. Um, yes, the Dwayne Allen released as well by the Patriots offseason, so they have a um, wide-open tight end room, and ASJ enters the pole position as their top guy. I don't know if he'll stay there. I think if their goal was to find someone who reminded them of the November Gronk, who Dan decided was washed up, they found the right guy. <laughs> well, not really, because he's not a blocker at all. Like he's just a he's receiver. a big, huge tight end who is theoretically a blocker and yeah. can't really move well enough to be a huge threat as a receiver. He's had some moments. I mean, I, he doesn't move well. I'm not criticizing uh, the rundown in any way, but I cringed when I saw they signed Safarian Jenkins as Gronk replacement. I was like, oh my gosh! I mean, he's not a Gronk replacement. Okay, then Matt Lacoste is the Gronk replacement. I mean, they I mean, don't somebody's have somebody's like, got to replace he, him. He got fifty thousand dollar signing bonus so that usually means you're you're almost unlikely to make the team they're gonna draft someone i hope and then i think severian jenkins might be a nice little upside guy as a as a number two I and, and i heard i heard that little arrow wes gronk was mostly washed up last year he put it together because he's an all-time great and had he put a couple it together because he got healthy he was washed up when he was playing through a high ankle sprain. he's getting out at the right time <laughs> it's finished wes Finish. What I saw in January, the guy could hey, definitely still he play. He got them a sixth Super Bowl. He did it. Oh, you're a Patriots fan again now. Oh, I'm, I'm always, I'm always well, no, no, be not, a fan no, of I mean, it's been era. shifting endlessly over the last <laughs> I, couple of I never said, so. I said, I said once Belichick is gone, so well. we're still, we're still well into it. Um, Fair. Steven Gostowski also re-signed with the Patriots, uh, putting an end to the most boring saga of the offseason. Uh, will the kickers, will the Patriots retain their kicker? And they have. Good for them. I, I looked at their roster and I thought, if Jason Garrett was the coach, how many wins would you give the Patriots? Tom Brady's still the quarterback. I would give That's them a good question. 11 wins. Nine. Stop. Uh, yeah, I'd put the over-under at eight and a half. Uh, and fi- one last Patriot note. Uh, a Chiefs fan was cited for shining a laser pointer at Tom Brady in the AFC title game. 
He was a 64-year-old man. No, pl- come on. Grow up, Peter Pan. 64, and you're at a football game shining a laser light into the eyes of a I mean, it only makes sense that he's older because that is that was a very popular like, classroom trick like in the late 80s and early 90s. I remember people would take it to the movie theater too and just be like, bro, what, what are you getting out of this? Get Thank rocks you. Off. It's not a what greater good prank. No. It's amazing what he's what he was able to overcome in that game. <laughs> he really put it together. Uh, Eric and I remember watching it up here at the end together. It was a beautiful moment. Finally, so you are a Patriots fan. That's good. I was. I am. I am. I right. said through the Belichick era. It's not like I was dropping it, off. We should have like a, a something on the wall, and we know like, is be Greg a, a Patriots fan today? I'll always be a fan. Yes or no? <laughs> always. Yeah, I don't, th- well, I don't no, think the narrative is constantly changing. Uh, finally, in the news, the Eagles signed wide receiver Charles Johnson to a one-year deal. Um, he's the latest or just one of many uh, AAF players who have now found homes uh, with NFL teams, which is a, a great thing because the way that league folded was a disgrace. I think we could all agree. It, it wasn't necessarily the fault of all the people involved with that operation, but the way it fell apart was just not fair to the players involved, so it's good to see some guys getting deals. Uh, Johnson, who was on the Orlando o- Apollos, um, led the league in receiving. He had 687 yards and five TDs on 45 catches in just eight games. So that guy was balling out, as the kids say, and now he'll get a chance um, to stick around with the Eagles. He's an interesting guy. There have been portions of his career where you thought with his size – and athletic ability, he's got, like, number one receiver potential, and he's just always been injured or having run-ins with coaching staffs or they just don't trust him, and they teams seem to move on from him pretty quickly. Is this the same Charles Johnson? Yeah. I mean, we've been on this guy's path for half a decade. Former seventh-round pick of well, the Packers. Incredibly well, underwhelmed by what he's produced. More than 30. Yeah, he was a making-the-leap guy. Did we did we say that? Remember back in the day? That more than 30 guys from the AAF have signed – including, I think, their sack leader, J. Ron Elliott. But I found it in none from the Memphis team. So terrible job by Memphis mm. developing talent. No, they're, was they're, they're no but I thought it was interesting. The, the Dolphins, who are you know in this kind of rebuild thing, they signed by far the most. They have seven AAF players on their roster. I think the Steelers signed six. Which is like, I, I think that's smart, actually. Who did that? Who made those The sign? Dolphins. So oh, the Dolphins did? They're trying a little different approach. We're hopping in the tank to talk a little AAF signings in Miami. I like it. I love it. And they might, be on more to, of it. they might be might be on to something that this is like if you can hit on one or one or two of these guys. Or they might not be on to anything. <laughs> we'll see. Or it's part of the organic fish tank. Let's get a bunch of guys from a lower tier of professional football and pass them off as actual top that tier talent out. and go three and thirteen. Also a possibility. That's what's happening in the news. All right. Controversial seg, because Greg, I I feel like you've um You've had to deal with some pushback in the past from general managers and teams over an article that you write every spring. Well, this was last year was the first time, and yes, it got quite a bit of pushback. Yeah, um, both inter- internally and externally. Fair to say. Well, what would the internal problems be? Like you know, know, Greg, you know, not a great job here. Could have done better. Yeah, work. West West feels that about most of the things they produce. But other than that, I would. I say think that. internally, <laughs> what like most articles produced internally are like met with like a quiet yes. heart, basically. Yeah, I no would say I would less. say internally it was met with indifference. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the the Bears were unhappy. Someone in the Chicago Tribune wrote a whole article where about uh, ranking Ryan Pace too low, and you know what? He would then won Executive of the Year. So uh, egg on my. Does face. that shake your confidence a little bit going into this year's? Because it's not up on the not site. You still have to write it. Um, it's coming. I have a. You know, I've been working on it, but it's not coming until next week. This is more. You guys are gonna. You know, we're all gonna make our. Own this stuff. is a separate exercise. Greg's GM power rankings will come up um, down the line, but this will be our discussion about it. And uh, I think you know. The, the good way to break it down is, first of all, who are the new GMs? Because even though they did, they've had the free agency, they haven't had a draft yet, so they get the incomplete grade. So we're going to leave out who four or five teams in this conversation. Chris Greer for the Dolphins would, would be one. Right, so people like I don't really Chris consider him Greer. a new GM, but fair enough. I do because he didn't have the decision-making power, and they were pretty clear about about that before, that he was kind of just there. Brian Gutekunst is pretty new. 
Um, I would put. But we got to be going Brandon first guy. Bean. It's kind of hard to judge because he was in cap hell. Anyone that's had really less than than that was hired before two thousand. I mean, after the two thousand eighteen, like the start of that off. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. Have All you right. divided Marty Herney into two people, the pre-Gettleman and the post-Gettleman? I like that. That's fair. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, so factoring guys that have a little bit more of runway to shape the team, um, let's break it down. Let's start Let's start here, actually. Let's start with, with kind of the gold standard. Um, who are the GMs or team builders that even if they have a bad offseason, you don't you're not shaking in their confidence. They're just guys that are kind of above even this conversation mm. of risers and fallers and all that. Who uh, Belichick obviously Belichick. has to be at the top of the list. I would put Howie Roseman in that group. I would too. And I would put Kevin Colbert there. And not everything he's done is perfect, but I think he has a twenty, almost a 20-year track record. To clarify, Howie Roseman point. of the Eagles and Kevin Colbert of the Steelers. Right. And uh, I think Colbert – over time, you have to kind of just trust how he's managed all the different ways of that roster. Uh, he does a really good job of kind of filling in holes that aren't even holes yet, and then they yes. develop them, and then they have players ready to step in. Wes, I just want to applaud you. I want to take a, a real quick uh, break here to applaud the advances as a broadcaster there. That you you said I, I threw out some names and most football fans are gonna know which teams they were, but as a broadcaster you said I'm gonna make sure you know that Colbert is with the Steelers. You know? Do you You're know? No, Roseman's with the Eagles. I think if, if we did not have a big listenership in other countries, I wouldn't do that as much. But I always think of like our United Kingdom fans and our European fans mm. and our Australian, New Zealand and Mexican and all that. That's why I do it because I, I know a lot cat. of them are new to the game. Can you imagine like NBC night, nightly news stopping down for like two reporters to compliment each other how they handled the previous segment. <laughs> Thank you for that compliment, Dan. That, that's better than Greg's unfair attack on yeah. what I would do with his article. I was, I was surprised jo- to hear that. I'm I was sorry. joking. I was joking. This GM ranking, who really knows? It's just <laughs> entirely subjective. Of course. All right, here we go. So Belichick, Roseman, Colbert, we want to put anybody else in that list? I wouldn't put him right there, uh, but Sh- John Schneider and – Thomas Dimitrov is – Dimitrov is – Those two guys I thought too. They're, I would they're hovering. right under that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're hovering where – Dimitrov and who? Schneider. Schneider. And you know what? Schneider and, – and I'm going to – and I'm glad you guys are really helping me do this exercise – you mean Thomas Dimitrov of the Atlanta Falcons? Yes. And John Schneider of the Seattle Seahawks. Thanks. Well done. <laughs> I really think we should just Wes, stop high down five. and talk about the you know high the, five mark the hosting uh, ability that Dan's really distributed the leadership. <laughs> Schneider ahead. had a really good year. I think Schneider and Carroll. Yeah. You can't really separate them. Um, you could almost put Pete Carroll right there with Schneider because you know that he's part of the personnel decisions. The fact that they were able to rebuild on the fly and they never turned into a losing team. Like there's this feeling I think the 2017 Seahawks like totally fell apart. They went nine and seven, and then they, and then they're back in the playoffs this year. So they, they're right there. I think Schneider is going to be moving up ahead of uh, Demetra. I would put Les Snead in this group too, personally. I'm with you. I agree. I don't know what what more he'd need to do. Uh, they they should be near the top. They showed great patience as an organization and see they believed in them even when the results weren't there. And now we're going on um, two straight years, two NFC West titles. And I think in general, one of the things you want in a front office is you, you want to be able to trust the guy's vision. And I think they absolutely do. And I put him in that right below the tier. I think also like you don't have the trade tsunami uh, become anything more than just talk unless you have less need being one of the guys that led the charge there. I mean, I think change the way the GM I think you're right. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good question for me to have to deal with uh, writing the rankings is like, how much do you knock him for the Jeff Fisher era? And essentially, is this a power ranking of where they are currently? Or is it a total like last year? I think I looked at it because I'd never done it before and thought maybe it's a one-off of their entire job. And you got to, you got to knock him a little bit for the Jeff Fisher era, but maybe Ryan Pace and Sneed are an example of there's only so much you can do if the vision of your head coach and your head coach is holding the organization back. Because I think everyone who defended Ryan Pace to me a year ago saying 
what could he do here with John Fox? It really isn't fair if you kind of look at the personnel that he's actually put together. It's good. They were right. You know, but and he was able to change on the fly, just like Snead changed on the fly my, once he got. My problem truck. with body of work, like it certainly is, a, is a factor for your article. He's been but, there since 2012, and they were pretty mediocre. For right, but Les Snead should get points for evolving and changing Absolutely. the way the GMs. You would want your GM. He's a to. riser. He's moving up. He's right, a riser. I just wonder how much of the credit should be going to McVeigh. Also fair. Yeah. By the way, Ryan Pace dead last on Greg's rankings last year. So let's get into some risers because I'm sure Pace has to be. Well, he'll rising. be the biggest one, yeah. Uh, for you at really? least, Greg. But uh, what the do you biggest think? riser? I mean, I guess on paper, but to me, Chris Ballard is clearly the biggest riser over the last well, calendar year. What's your favorite? Type That's of fair. Rock? I didn't even rank him because, and I know. would put John Dorsey right there with him. To me, those two guys are joining. They're ready to join the upper tier. I think that's absolutely fair. Ballard, I left off that list uh, because a year ago, because he didn't, you know, he had one year of body. You know, he hadn't even gotten to his second draft at that point. If you think about what he inherited, they can't protect luck with that offensive line. They can't run the ball. They haven't hit a 100-yard rusher in five years. They have no backbone on defense. This is an undisciplined, soft team with nothing in the trenches. And they are 180, 180 degrees opposite of that. No. And on top of that, han- the Josh McDaniel situation, the way he handled that, yes. the having to answer nebulous questions about Andrew Luck when your ownership is steering people in weird directions on that, and just never any drama. Ballard might might vault very high on this list, and Dorsey I think will be even higher. And the reason is Ballard gets a little bit of a boost, and it's not his fault because he's only been in the league two years, and those two years have been fantastic. So you look back at Colin Kaepernick's career or many players throughout NFL history where through two, three years, they were on a trajectory to be great. But I think general managers, over time, you got to give the experience and you know doing it year after year after year as a bonus. And now I look back at the Chiefs time and John Dorsey, and it's like, you kind of got to give John Dorsey maybe a little more credit than I was a year ago uh, for what he did with give him, the Chiefs. Give him credit for maneuvering up to draft Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs before he left for the Browns. So, like, Ballard to me isn't going to get in that top five because he's only had two years, even though those top those last two years have been as good as anyone. You can argue that Dorsey made the two best front office moves. Dorsey, of, of course, past. is now the Cleveland Browns general manager. And he Very used good. to be with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. Ryan Pace, of course, Chicago Bears. He wears the same khakis pretty much every day in a nice uh, Big old brown white sweatshirt. gym shoes. Chris Ballard of the Indianapolis Colts. But Dorsey in moving up and making the power play to get Mahomes and then the recent trade of Odell Beckham are probably the two best moves any general manager well, has made in the last three years. He's a cowboy. Can I- Dorsey walked into a great situation and I think that a lot of people about a year ago at this time were simply refusing to believe that John Dorsey, the experience of John Dorsey too, the baseball hat, the sweatshirt, like in theory an anti-analytics guy, which he's he's not. They still have Paul, De, or they still have Dee Podesta in their, in their building working with them and they are listening to his, but point being, you look back at Sashi Brown's drafts and Sashi Brown Sashi. was awesome at setting the table for what came next, but his drafts and the football people in the building at that time produced very little outside of Miles Garrett, which any one of us could have made the number one pick logically. John Dorsey has brought in way more talent in a short His amount of time. His first draft was okay. It wasn't a Duke Johnson, Agba. It was, I would say it was a B. It was a average draft, and the second one was kind of Duke a Johnson was Ray Farmer. Oh, let okay. me lay a comparison on you here. Lyndon Baines Johnson, who historians... Whoa feel is underrated compared to how the general public Wes, feels about him. Let me just jump in. Former president of the United States. Yeah. He he became president with John F. Kennedy. He was assassinated in 1963. Uh, got uh, elected again after And that. by the way, you're not well, getting any Who are any we pandering LB. to now? Can I finish my... No. Yeah, let us finish. Never. Go ahead. So the number one job of the chief executive is to pass legislation. Lyndon Baines Johnson had the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, the Revenue Act, the War on Poverty... This is getting your job is to get things done. John Dorsey gets things done. He doesn't build huge portfolios of draft picks and he doesn't really have he he got left all that cap space, but he converted all of it into blue chip talent. That's your job. So Sashi in this case is JFK. Yes. Well, I have, I have some issues with all of that. I don't <laughs> like John Dorsey doesn't have like a uh, 
ballooning the Vietnam War into an international crisis on his resume. But other than that, yes, he did. LBJ moved a lot of things along. Um, where is Sashi these days, by the way? Sashi. That's a great question. I mean, he maybe he slipped back into uh, the law field. I don't know. Um, all right. Any other risers before we move to the fallers? Any other risers going once, going twice? Mm. Hold uh, on. I, I'm at least – well, John Robinson was pretty high a year ago. How about ago, Tom Telesco? But I think he's, I like Tom Telesco. Yeah, he's continuing to move up. And Tom Telesco, I think, quietly has done manager. a really good job building up that roster. And they, they've done it the right way where they've really done it through the draft. And you can see the culmination of all the years that they've done on their roster. We um, we forgot two two guys that we should put in the new category. Okay. Mike Mayock, of course. Of course. And Eric DaCosta of the Ravens taking over for Ozzie Newsom. After what was a 25-year internship. Yeah, that's it, it's an interesting situation because DaCosta's been very big in that organization for a long time. And I and the longer this goes on, the more I realize Ozzie Newsom is still kind of – he might not be the GM, but he he's, works for them. he's in still the there. DaCosta role. He was at the owners' meetings. He's at every league function. He's there at their office. So he's absolutely working, and they worked something out that, you know, he's maybe not working as hard as he used to. He's not in the top chair. But they're still like a partnership. They've just changed roles, which is a credit to them. All right, who's falling? I think Dave, Steve – Dave Gettleman. Yeah. Yes, Dave Gettleman. I, uh... That's one where I struggle with body of work when you have moved into what feels like um, painful team PR mouthpiece um, amidst like a rash of beguiling moves that leaves your fan base off the side of the road. And when I, when I, um, <laughs> when I ranked him this high, I got some pushback from Carolina people that thought Gettleman was getting too much credit. Where did you have him all, last year? He was 13th. And that he ultimately inherited all the best players on the Panthers, which is ap- which is accurate. You know, they had the core of players there when Gettleman got there. And uh, and definitely his time with the Giants hasn't helped him. I got some more followers. Let's hear another one. John Lynch, who to me, it would be fair to rank him number 32 right now. Yeah, I don't even think he got ranked last year. And 49ers, he will, he will be at the, the bottom, near the bottom of the list. I think a, like a classic faller on and off the field over the last year since you've done this is Cardinals GM Steve Keim. Yeah, he's the one that uh, that struck me as a big, What is he doing well right now? As a big-time faller. And here's why. Because when you change coaches and everything completely falls apart, to me, that like that's the sign of a great GM is one that can win and do I gave Dimitrov a lot of credit for having two good eras, two good with different coaches that I don't think of as like the best coach in the league. Kime's kind of the opposite. He I'm, lost his coach and he fell apart. I'm quite surprised still, and good for him. He's a man with a family and all that, but that he retained his job after the free fall of last season and uh, the way Josh Rosen played. And internally, they obviously did not love him on top of the DUI, which was bad. I'll throw it out. Got to do it. Love doing it. John Elway. I was, he was on my list, too. You had him ranked seventh last year, Greg, which I would have said was high last year. <laughs> this year, I think he should definitely be in the 20s, perhaps, because uh, I don't think he's done much of anything positive in, in recent years. Uh, obviously, he drafted uh, Bradley Chubb last year, but that was kind of a no-brainer, and they fell to him, so I don't give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, I was giving uh, him credit for all those 12-win seasons in a, in a championship. I get that. I get that. That's his strength. He I doesn't think- draft well. He hasn't been able to fix the quarterback. He hasn't been able to fix the offensive line. He has demonstrated that he can absolutely woo free agents. He At the time, he had been in charge of you know, the, probably the third most successful NFL franchise throughout the decade, and so I was giving him some credit for that. He's but I agree. Faller, he, was, he was too high. No, he was way He's too fallen. high. How about you're, Bruce you're, Allen? Well, how much he can't fall too far. I think he was second to last, and he still might fall. <laughs> so I think you're you're onto something. I think like I don't. I think that Dave Caldwell, Caldwell in Jacksonville has, he's been a part of drafts that have brought a lot of talent to the Jaguars. So I don't think that he's lacks skills. But I am concerned about any of these GMs that seem to be in a place where they're in a power vacuum, where they've got all these people around them that have way more power than them. And what is Dave Caldwell's say at this point inside that organization? I got one for you guys. We did risers. We did fallers. And feel free to jump in with more fallers or even risers. But I got the Dalton line. Okay. Dalton scale for new listeners is uh, a concept we came up with where Andy Dalton – well, 
West completely came up with it, is the prime meridian of quarterbacks. He is right in the middle. If you if your quarterback's worse than Andy Dalton, you need a franchise quarterback. And if your GM is worse than this guy, you need a new GM. If he's better than him, you're probably in decent shape with uh, in your front office. Jerry Jones. Hmm. I, w- I actually had this one bolded, and this is going to be kind of inside football, but I think their VP of personnel, Will McClay, it might be their acting general manager. He gets a lot of credit from really? people who follow that team as their personnel guy, and I think the Cowboys have actually built a pretty good roster. I I I would not put him as the Dalton line, uh, Dan, and I don't yeah. know who to give credit to. Well, you're maybe, wrong. Maybe it's Mr. Will, you know, not familiar with his work. Uh, or Stephen Jones is certainly mm, yeah. very active. I actually think as a – Player procurement and drafts and everything, he's been better than average for sure. He, they've had some shortcomings. With so is Andy Dalton. Mm. Mm. <laughs> How yeah, but Jerry Jones, like, <laughs> what if Duke Tobin of the Bengals is the Dalton scale? <laughs> Are you separating the Jerry Jones that also like annually turns the Cowboys into the biggest biggest marketing sensation in sports? Yes. Yes. This is okay. Yeah. So just in the GM, but I think that his GM drafts are been really good. Over but they this are. Decade. I don't think they're Jerry Jones's drafts the way that they were in 2005. To Wes's point, but it's Stephen Jones too. Like they talked about over the last half decade, that they a lot of that has been handed off to others inside the Cowboys. He is, his title is general manager. Oh, wait. Yes. We've got an announcement. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I'm willing to maybe put uh, Mr. Will's name on the, the GM list, maybe a slash with Stephen okay. Jones. He and deserves then, it. And then another, another bigger one. I'm seeing Mickey Loomis is here, right. number 11 last year. That He is going to be... He might be totally replaced, but he's going to get a slash Jeff Ireland slash Sean Payton. Maybe Loomis is just totally off the list, and it's, that's how mine goes. Yeah, Loomis, Ireland, Payton. Because at this point, I don't know. So I just I wanted to just point just that for out. bookkeeping um, purposes, and and just in, as you put together your piece, so it's a bit of a, a slippery slope, <laughs> a little bit of a Pandora's box. Once you start like divvying out who's making the decisions, you might have to do it for almost every team. No, I don't think there's that many. You're right. There's a few. But Loomis is a particularly, as as Mark loves to point out, you know, he's usually on some, you know, sales call tr- for season tickets of the New Orleans Pelicans. I don't know how much Figurehead. we can. How much we but can. then Jeff Ireland has to be a riser because his stock could not have been right. lower at a certain And Jeff Ireland and Sean Payton, you do get the, I think, talking to people, you do get the sense Sean Payton has – has more power uh, than most or almost any head coach. So I think Ireland and Peyton are the ones really running that. I guess franchise. I just mean for for the for the purposes of both this conversation <laughs> and your article, when you start saying that Jeff Ireland is soaring up the GM power rankings when he is not in fact the GM, <laughs> it just GM. gets a little like it's a foggy. tad murky. But what do you do with teams who just all right. use the position? Should I go? Your head, all right, I'm willing, and to we look. know they're lying to us. I, maybe How about Loomis? Not do the segment. I don't. Well, know. there is no official GM. <laughs> I believe Loomis has a better title than that. He's like team president and consigliere and, you know, consigliere. executive vice president and uh, GM. How about Loomis slash Peyton then? And Ireland's not even on there? I don't know. You're going to have to do this with, I think there's like eight. Starting to make my head hurt. There's like eight teams you have to do this with. The Patriots being one, Nick Cesario. But every team, there are obviously top of the line guys for every organization, but it's a collaborative effort. For every team, I guess was the point I was making. Right, that's true because it does open it up because John Gruden would have to get on there with the Raiders. Sure, There's Mayock's no way that Mayock has more, has more power. Jeff Ireland is the wind beneath the wings of Mickey Loomis. I like that. Jeff Maybe Ireland. a different article. Greg can use an article. The wind beneath the wings rankings. <laughs> he, he's had a, a very Rick Spielman-like comeback. So Rick Spielman's the GM of the Vikings who left Miami. I think he's on his third team. Uh, left Miami in ridicule in the mid-2000s. Mm. I mean, Dolphins fans... Mm. Chased him out of town. They, they thought he Pitch was a joke, and he's had a great run in Minnesota. Jeff Ireland similarly run out of town in mm. Miami as a joke and now is doing great with New Orleans. So that kind of makes you wonder... What's the real problem? Well, it's just a, le- it's a, less- the well, it's a lesson in scapegoating because it's like you're either scapegoating the coach or the GM. It has to be, it can't be one of these wind beneath the wings guys that no one's heard of. It's got to be someone who's been lashed in the press for going on months. 
Spielman has built a good roster for, for the last half decade. That's true. For new listeners, Wind Beneath the Wings, a very popular uh, 1980s song sung by Bette Midler, uh, made famous uh, in the movie Beaches, also oh, starring Barbara wow. Hershey. Greg, did they <laughs> upload some information into hey. your uh, uh, central processor unit? That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of info on Wind Beneath the Wings. Mom, mom was a big fan. Oh, I was about nine or ten at the yeah, time. Yeah, my mom, I think, had that soundtrack, as I recall. Oh yeah, yeah. my mom also <laughs> a huge fan. Um, all right, mine too. <laughs> You're very over today's huh? show. I can no, it's just like okay, who? I mean, did you just roll your Mark eyes? Actually has our, Mark is already doing chores in his mind. He, he well, just, this is one. I of am not. Yeah, he. Can. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> all right, good. Do, can you find, um, Ricky, uh, to play out today's show, um, we can't play the actual Wind Beneath My Wings song, but a, a, a similar equivalent in our library. I can try. All right, <laughs> All right. Let's break down the schedule again. Two weeks out from the draft. So next week you'll get another show on Monday and Thursday morning because then we are on the road. We're heading south for the Chris Wessling Bachelor Party. Uh, hope to have Connie on one of the shows next week, and we will do one of our favorite segments. Uh, You're the GM makes its return next week, so uh, tune in for that. Um, and uh, Twitter show Wednesday, um, 10.30 Pacific, 1.30 Eastern, maybe 5.30 in London. And then next, the week after that is draft week, and we're back three shows and a Twitter show, a lot of content. So good stuff. This is uh, Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm. Listen to that. Oh, it's beautiful. The mailman. The old boss. And Ricky Hollywood behind the glass. Till Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.